In your Bibles this morning, Genesis 41. Genesis 41, as we continue working our way through the book of Genesis and the biography of, of Joseph. Genesis 41. Many people spend their lives waiting for a big, lucky break. And many people think, if only I would win the lottery, things would be so different for me. If only I would get noticed by a talent scout, life would be so different for me. If only I could land that big account, or if only my ship would come in. My ship sank long ago. I'm no longer expecting that. But many will think if, if only there would be a turn of events to bring some good fortune, my life would be different then. Without such, it's the same old, same old. And some would take that same idea and interpret Genesis 41, for it seems that by a rare and random breakthrough, Joseph went from the pit to the palace, from a prisoner to become the prime minister of Egypt. And one could say that Joseph was in the right place at the right time and got his big lucky break. We know that the Bible biography of Joseph began in Genesis 37 when the young 17-year-old Joseph dreamed that his brothers would one day bow down to him. But from that point forward, everything seemed to go wrong. Joseph suffered repeated injustice and hardship. He was sold by his brothers to traveling merchants. He was then resold as a slave in Egypt. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison where he was forgotten by the outside world. However, now in Genesis 41, things change. The tide turns and Joseph's fortunes are reversed. He's now 30 years old, according to chapter 41, verse 46. And we could say that Joseph now catches his lucky break. He's released from prison. He's promoted. And his dreams from Genesis 37 eventually come true in Genesis 45. But Genesis 41 here serves as a pivot point in the Joseph narratives, in the, the biography of Joseph, for it falls at the center of Genesis 37 and Genesis 45. However, Genesis 41, if it is Joseph's big break, I declare to you that it was a divine break. For it was God who brought Joseph from the pit to the palace. This morning from Genesis 41, from the pit to the palace for God's divine purposes. Let me pause for prayer. God in heaven, we want all glory to be to our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And for that reason, we have sung, we've read scripture, and Lord, now we look to the holy scriptures. We pray that your spirit would teach us, that, it would, that he would change us as we study the life of Joseph. We commit our study to you in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We have a lot to read this morning. I would ask that you follow me as I read quickly Genesis 41, beginning in verse number one. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. 
He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. I would title these verses, Pharaoh's Revelation in Sleep. Pharaoh's revelation in sleep. And gentlemen, you'll have to help me advance the slides perhaps there. Number one, Pharaoh's revelation in sleep. Two years has passed according to verse number one. And perhaps those two years were since Joseph was in prison back in chapter 39, verse 20. Or perhaps those two years uh, had passed since the chief butler was released in chapter 40, verse 20. We, we don't know, but in either case, it, it doesn't particularly matter because it indicates to us that a substantial amount of time had passed. After these two years, Pharaoh had two dreams. He was awakened after the first at the end of verse number four, he was awakened after the second at the end of verse number seven. And both dreams were dramatic, disturbing, because in each dream, the same phenomenon occurred. That is, the lean and the thin was consumed by the fat and the plump of the same kind. In verses two to four, the picture was of cows. In verses four through seven, five through seven, the picture was of grain. And obviously, something was wrong. So in verse number 8, as we read, Pharaoh called for the magicians of Egypt not to be confused with those who wear a tuxedo and pull a rabbit out of the hat. These, are, these magicians are the, the wise men of the land, but no one could interpret the dreams for Pharaoh, and the king's counselors and cabinet could not help him. But undoubtedly, the chief butler was standing by next to Pharaoh in the court there, watching these things take place, and his suppressed memory is triggered, his memory of the unusual Hebrew slave that he met years earlier in prison. Look at verse number nine. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream, and one night he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored to me my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. I would title these verses, Joseph's release from prison. First, Pharaoh's revelation in sleep. Secondly, Joseph's release from prison. And the chief butler's comment in verse number nine is curious. Look at verse number nine. I remember my faults this day. One commentator has suggested that the chief butler's remembrance of his faults was not a reference to, to the offense that he committed against Pharaoh that landed him in prison, but rather um, the offense he committed against Joseph in forgetting to report to Joseph, of Joseph, to the Pharaoh as he promised. And in either case, the, 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 the butler now recounts what had taken place back in prison. However, he tweaks the story just a bit. If you remember our study, uh, previous study from chapter 40. The, the chief butler didn't 
recount how troubled he was by his dream, if you read back in chapter 40, verses 6 and 7. The chief butler did not repeat his confession of ignorance to Joseph back in chapter 40, verse 8. He didn't share Joseph's witness that Joseph had no innate dream interpreting skills back in chapter 40, verse 8. Nor did the chief butler say anything about Joseph's readiness to attribute the interpretations of the dreams to God. However, the chief butler did share what was most important for the Pharaoh to know. And that, in verse 13, the chief butler said it came to pass just as Joseph interpreted. You see, that is, after all, the authenticating measure of a true prophet of God. Deuteronomy chapter number, number 18. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. That's, that's how you know a false prophet. On the other hand, Jeremiah 29, 28 says, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. And so even in the pragmatism of the Pharaoh of Egypt, he's able to conclude that Joseph's interpretations were legitimate because they came to pass. And so the Pharaoh wanted to talk to Joseph. And, and there then the Pharaoh released Joseph from prison. And so humanly speaking, this is Joseph's lucky break. This is his big breakthrough as the chief butler has remembered Joseph and has reported of Joseph to the Pharaoh. Look at verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of a river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven heads, so I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Number three, Pharaoh's problem to solve. Pharaoh's problem to solve. Pharaoh had a problem. And the problem was that no one could interpret his dreams for him. Even his own magicians, his wise men, could not interpret his dreams. And this is very reminiscent for me of, of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. However, in that case, Nebuchadnezzar demanded that the magicians not only interpret his dreams, but they also tell him his dreams in the first place. On the other hand, here Pharaoh is quick to, to recount his dreams two times now in this chapter. And in recounting of his dream to Joseph in verses 17 to 24, the story is a little bit more dramatic than it was in verses 1 through 8. For example, if you look at the end of verse 19, look there. Pharaoh says, such ugliness I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. Folks, that is ugly, right? 
And as you read through Pharaoh's second recounting of his dream, it's as if Pharaoh is a little bit more agitated now. And you can sense his emotion as he describes the desperation of his problem. He needs an answer. And so this is Joseph's chance. This is his big lucky break, his opportunity to make it big. For any time there is a problem or a crisis, there's an opportunity to capitalize on that, pri- that problem or that crisis. And of course, any good politician knows that when there is a crisis, you capitalize on that. You save the day, you be a hero, you hold a press conference and promise to launch an investigation, right? You do these things. This is Joseph's opportunity, his big breakthrough. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following it, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. I would call this number four Joseph's plan to tell. Joseph's plan to tell. And, and I might offer a couple insights here. Things that, are a, that, that we'll miss if, if we read too quickly as I have done letter A. Joseph didn't only interpret the dream. But Joseph attributed the dreams to God. This is so important for us this morning. I think it's a a high point of the narrative. Look at the end of verse 25. The end of verse 25. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Look at the end of verse 28. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Look again at verse 32. Because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Folks, we cannot miss that God is the causer, that God is the mover, that God is the one who is working his will in these matters. Just as a point of practical application for us today, if we interpret our circumstances today without acknowledging the providence and the sovereignty of God in our circumstances, we will misinterpret what is happening in our lives. We must walk by faith and not by sight. So when good things happen, and then bad things happen, and then maybe some more good things happen, but some more bad things happen, and then more bad things happen, happen. How do I explain it all? 
How do I make sense of my life right now when I can't see all the things that are happening? I can't understand what God is doing. I must trust that God is at work. And I submit to us this morning that we cannot correctly interpret our current circumstances or on a macro level, current events in the world because we don't know what God is doing. Folks, this is an incredibly, incredibly practical and powerful lesson for us. Turn your notes over there in the back. I've copied what John Piper has written in his book, A Sweet and Bitter Providence. This is what he says. Life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road. Switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth and others you can think of is to help us feel in our bones, not just know in our heads that God is for us in all of these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He is plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. We just sang that. All glory be to Christ. And God is so kind to us to give us these stories because we're not just making a proposition about the providence or the sovereignty of God, but we're feeling it in our bones as we trace the biographies of these, these men and women in the scripture. So first, I would say to you that Joseph didn't only interpret the meaning of the dream. He attributed the dreams to God. This is God at work. Secondly, Joseph didn't only interpret the meaning of the dream, but he offered a solution to the problem. And something very significant is taking place here in Genesis 41. More significant than Joseph's release from prison is the reversal of roles that's happening here. If you follow the, the, the rhetorical or the literary argument that's being made here, Joseph had been the antagonist in all of these narratives. Now he's catapulted into the position of the protagonist. You say, well, what, what does that mean? He had previously been a, a passive victim in the story. And now he's becoming the active voice in the story. What a breakthrough. And he's carefully telling of a plan, of a solution to the, to the Pharaoh. In verse 33, Joseph speaks in the third person. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and let him set him over the land of, of Egypt. And, and there's perhaps a bit of sarcasm here. Verse 33, Pharaoh had previously consulted the wise men. Remember the magicians of his court. Verse 8. They failed him miserably. And now with a little bit of Minnesotan passive-aggressive tact, Joseph is saying, Pharaoh, I don't want you to make the same mistake again. You, you, you don't go to the people who don't know what they're talking about. You need to find a wise man. And by the way, at your service, here I am, right? And, uh, and Joseph offers himself, I am the man for your job. And Joseph said that the discerning and wise man of verse 33 should be given supervision in Egypt. That's a pretty bold counsel, but he's not finished. Verses 34, 35, 36, look there. Joseph is detailing this plan. And then a final insight at the end of verse 36, that the land may not perish during the famine. 
So letter C, Joseph is prophetically warning of, of the consequences. If Pharaoh doesn't accept these things, the, the plan was, the consequences of rejecting the plan were, were grave here. It's, it's almost like an ancient science fiction story about the obliteration of the world. And today, blockbuster movies are, are made of the pending destruction of planet Earth by an alien evasion or a cosmic catastrophe and the self-preservation of man on the earth drives man to rally all of the resources available to save the land, save the people. Verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off of his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed them in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath, Paneah, and he had daughter, and he gave him as wife, Asenath, the, the daughter of Potipera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Folks, I would... Uh, I would say to us that this is uh, simply God's promotion of Joseph. God's promotion of Joseph. And, and know that the designation here is important. Humanly speaking, this was Pharaoh's promotion of Joseph. That's what I first prepared in my notes. I was toggling between Pharaoh and Joseph and Pharaoh and Joseph. You see it there in numbers one, two, three, four. So we're back to Pharaoh. I thought Pharaoh's promotion of Joseph, but then I corrected it to God's promotion of Joseph because Proverbs 21 verse one says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wishes. So that if Joseph is experiencing a lucky break, a big breakthrough here at this point, we must recognize that it is God who is accomplishing this. The rest of the story, can you indulge me quickly? Beginning in verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid the food in the cities. And he laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the, the daughter of Potipera, a priest of An, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all of my toil in my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Stop there for a moment. Both of those sons' names are Hebrew names. So Joseph, living in the land of Egypt, is very careful to maintain his identity as a Hebrew, as a Jew. 
He gives them Hebrew names, verse 53. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over the face of the earth. Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. What would we title these things? I'll give it this, God's common grace. Common grace to the world. God's common grace is is that general blessing to the righteous and the unrighteous. And God, in his common grace, saved the world through Joseph. And folks, it may be this morning that you're waiting for your lucky break. Without some good fortune, without some turn of events, you're going to be living in the pits, forgotten by the world for the rest of your life. Do you ever feel like that? I have two thoughts for you to consider in conclusion. They're not in your notes, but two thoughts to to consider. The first thought is think of the Apostle Paul's testimony. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. But in whatever state I am in, I have learned to be content. How can we learn that contentment? It's in knowing that God is in control and he has ordained the circumstances of our life for this moment. That's your first thought. Think of the Apostle Paul and his contentment. Second thought, second thought to leave you with, not in your notes. I want you to think of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to think in this way. The Bible says that the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. Not the common grace of God, as in saving the world from famine through Joseph, but the special grace of God in saving the world from its sin through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not his common grace, but his special grace. You see, Jesus is the bread of life so that we may never hunger again, so that we can live forever. And Jesus, the Son of God, condescended from heaven to earth, from the ivory palaces into the world of woe, where he was crucified and he was buried. But then God exalted him to his right hand, from the pit to the palace, if you will. God has exalted him. And whether you feel like you are in a pit whether you aspire for the palace, know that God has put you where you are on purpose, for his purposes, for the sake of others, as Joseph was, and his own son, Jesus Christ, for our sake, so that we might have the forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. Let's pray. God, thank you for the record of Joseph. Lord, thank you for preserving this account so that we might understand your hand at work in the lives of of people, so that we might feel it in our bones, Lord, so that we might understand that wherever we are today, we can be content because you're working your will and your way and your time. Lord, you have given us a big break, a breakthrough 
in your special grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we need nothing other than to trust in him alone. I pray, Lord, that we would proceed from this place by faith in the unseen, in your hand. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.